A Night at Lowell Observatory on episode 288 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We're amateur astronomers who love looking up the nighttime sky and ask, what is it like to look through the Clark 24-inch refractor? I sure wanted to know, Shane. How about you? <laughs> yeah, that's a dream come true. Um, I can't even imagine. Uh, like, whew, something that large must be incredible. Ah, yeah. So I was very, uh, I don't want to say jealous. I always feel like there's like this negative connotation. I wish I had been able to go observing at the Lowell Observatory with Clint, not in his place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alongside him. Alongside, exactly. Exactly. So we had a, an email from Clint, who is a longtime correspondent and Patreon supporter. We appreciate that. And he recently visited Lowell Observatory, just outside of Flagstaff, Arizona, up on Mars Hill. And it was made famous for many reasons, Shane. So some of them were that, like, Percival Lowell in the early 1900s made observation sketches of canals and created a hypothesis for life on Mars. And for some strange reason, that captivated the public's attention. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> So, well, proven to be optical illusions, nobody else would ever see optical illusions with Mars. Like, I recently heard of this guy that saw Mars get drained of blood while it was uh, doing an occultation from the moon. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Lowell inspired, he inspired like a lot of astronomers, science fiction writers. And even though he was wrong, it had like a very positive impact on astronomy and people in general. It really inspired a lot of creativity. And, uh, you know, Lowell uh, Observatory went on and, and had some great astronomers there. A lot of amateur astronomers who became astronomers, like the discoverer of Pluto, Clyde Tombaugh, worked out of there. And in 1930, that's when he discovered um, Pluto. And then uh, Robert Burnham Jr. later worked there, starting in the 50s. And he's the guy who wrote Burnham's Celestial Handbook during 21 years there while working on the proper motion survey. So, you know, Lowell Observatory just is this, uh, it's really just like the, in my opinion, it's like the amateur's professional observatory in many ways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good description. So it's pretty cool. So I don't know. Are, are you up for reading uh, through it? Maybe, maybe what we'll do is just get you to read. Just guesstimate maybe where half is, and we'll get you to read through half, and then I'll I'll take over. How does that sound? Yeah, sounds good. Um, so hi, Chris and Shane. Uh, this might turn out to be somewhat lengthy email. I recently got back from my vacation that I took to Flagstaff, Arizona, where I was able to spend a nearly new moon evening at the Lowell Observatory. I started the day in the afternoon with my family exploring the exhibits and checking out the various domes. The Pluto telescope was really quite intriguing. I also appreciated uh, the newer display that they had dedicated to Robert Burnham Jr. His work on, pay, on proper motion was fascinating. Uh, I also liked seeing uh, three, the three volumes of his Celestial Handbook on display. These are three of my favorite reference books in my own collection. My family and I were able to catch the tail end of the final observing session for the day. The sun was just dipping into some trees as we got our chance to look through their solar telescope. I have had the chance to see the sun through a scope on other occasions, but it was a first for my family. While we were there, they also rolled back the building uh, at the open deck observatory to reveal the incredible scope collection. Yes, you read that right. It is not a simple roll-off observatory a roll-off roof observatory. They have a building that houses all of their public telescopes and the entire building rolls back to expose the scopes to the sky. I want one. I think you should build one, Chris, for I your think, observatory. I think I want one too. That's awesome. 
Uh, I took the family to dinner and got them settled in our Airbnb. And then my oldest son and I went back to the observatory to enjoy the rest of the evening. It was a bit on the cool side, about 20 degrees Fahrenheit. So about minus seven degrees to the rest of the world. That is cold. I always think of Arizona as like shirts and t-shirt weather. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Wow. Um, but the lines were still quite long for most of the activities. Uh, we waited in line about an hour and a half to look through the Clark refractor. It was tracking on Jupiter for the evening. I have to say I was a bit disappointed. Perhaps disappointed is not the correct word. Maybe surprised is better. Surprised that the view through the big refractors and high-end scopes that they had set up was not much better than my own scope. This was the case for the night, no matter which scope I looked through. If their scope was pointed at planets or stars, then I felt that my four inch tack was just as capable. In the Clark, they, uh, they had Jupiter magnified roughly 300 times. It was certainly bigger than I usually observe it, but it seemed washed out. The color was more creamy and the banding uh, was obvious, but seemed to blend from one zone to the next. There just was not as much contrast as I had expected. Um, Maybe I'll pause there, Chris. I think that's about halfway. Yeah, that's that sounds good. And I also think it's a good place to uh, to address this. And uh, it's it's this point that we've talked about so many times. And it's it's a real world example. And uh, you know, I, I know that Clint really enjoyed his time there, as as any of us would have. Um, but what he is simply simply witnessing here is that often the sky will only show you sort of like that, the maximum that a four inch telescope is able to reveal sort of on any moment to moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, those, those nights of great seeing where you can, you know, throw as much magnification as you want are, are quite rare, but those are the nights where, you know, this large telescope, I think would really, you know, show what it's capable of. Um, the thing to remember, you know, when you increase magnification or you increase aperture, you're also sort of increasing the effects of the atmosphere mm -hmm. when you're observing. So sometimes, you know, more is is not better <laughs> when it comes to astronomy. I, th I think the other thing is like, uh, Clint goes on to say from the Clark, we went back to the open deck and got a look at Mars through their 16 inch mead. Um, we also said he, he felt that uh, perhaps his tank could have met or uh, it may have even bettered um, what they what they were seeing through that telescope, and then that they looked through. And this was the scope that I was actually just as interested to hear about as uh, the views through the Clark, which is uh, the eight inch custom refractor, because um, that's one of those scopes that was uh, made over in in the UK, um, and it's like one of those beautiful, almost steampunk type telescopes. I think it's this beautiful crimson red. I've seen lots of photos on online. I, I saw it when it was they, they had designed it. I saw it when it was being built and then being installed at Lowell. So quite, a, quite an interesting um, achromatic refractor. And again, he said that he was wishing that uh, he could have set up his own scope to, um, to look through uh, till his heart's content. And, and I think that's the main point is that when you're, when you're out just looking through telescopes and, uh, and you're waiting in line and then finally get to view, and I don't know how long they let people view for, but maybe like 30 seconds or something like that, maybe a minute if you were lucky, you're, you're spending most of your time just you know, waiting around and a very small amount of time observing. So the chances that you're actually going to get, unless it's an amazing night, really good 
views through any telescope, regardless of what it is. I think like he's hitting the nail on the head here that his telescope, um, whatever it would be, is, is going to give him better views because he's able to sit in an observing chair at his eyepiece for a long period of time and to be able to take in those views. Um, as well, Clint's using a beautiful Takahashi telescope. So he's using a telescope, um, you know, pretty much uh, the same as what you and I use, Shane. And those telescopes, in my opinion, which is fairly extensive, they kind of give you what, what the sky can provide on any given night, uh, sort of like any average night, those telescopes are gonna, as far as planetary detail goes, they're gonna give you all the planetary detail that, that can be seen on a lot of nights. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you you can see an awful lot of detail on the planets with a four inch. Heck, even my my TAC three inch, uh, you know, I use that exclusively during the last opposition and I was able to see a lot of detail on Mars. It was quite incredible. Yeah. So what Clint goes on to say is uh, what really impressed me, though, was the deep sky views uh, that their big scopes were giving. They pointed their 32 inch daub. <laughs> <laughs> That's something. Wow. Pointed their 32-inch daub on M15, and he said, I could not get enough. I went through the line several times. My refractor can show great views of bright objects like planets and stars, but the views of M15 through the big daub were only something I could see in my dreams. It was glorious. It looked like a glittering suspended. Uh, it looked like glitter suspended in a 3D pattern in the sky. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's impressive. Yeah, and that's where the the four inch will fall down a little bit is on some of those deep sky objects. You you just can't beat aperture for some of that stuff. Yeah, Clint goes on to say another highlight was the seventeen inch plane wave. This is a completely computerized Dahl Kirkham telescope. I've looked through either a sixteen or a nineteen, something like that. Uh, it is connected to a camera and a computer monitor. The software shows uh, that scope to take one sixty second image. Uh, and then live, it takes a bunch of images, I guess, 61 second images, and then stacks them and displays them on a computer monitor. If you want to see something that is more dim, simply turn up the exposure time. It was really neat to see the live stacking of images as they came across the screen. The volunteer turned the scope on Andromeda and then panned to show M32, M M110, since the field of view was too small uh, in the main uh, image to see them all at, at once with the main Andromeda galaxy. He then pointed it to the ring nebula and he said color just popped with the image stacking. He then pointed out the pinwheel galaxy and pointed out supernova that had recently been spotted there. At this point, I was getting pretty cold, so I looked at M15 one last time and checked out for the evening. The evening was one I will never forget. I now have aperture fever and need a warming room complete with red lights. I am glad the experience confirmed just how good my little scope is. I am also glad that I was able to see just how limited it is on certain targets. I know that you all work, you are all working on an episode to discuss various ways of creating observing reports. What you have just read is basically how I record my observations. I don't write to you each time I have a session, but my observing journal is full of dates and, and they describe in things, uh, they describe things in paragraphs, just like the above. Uh, clear skies, Clint. Well, thanks so much, Clint. Thanks for this. As you know, I've I've always wanted to visit the Lowell Observatory, and I watched the shed being built, and I I've seen it roll off in videos, um, and especially uh, interest in the eight-inch refractor there. So it was really neat to be able to vicariously uh, live through you, Clint. That was a really cool uh, experience and a wonderful email to receive. 
Yeah, I really appreciate it too. It's um, I, I love reading about other people's experiences like that, visiting you know various observatories. Um, you know, another example is when Mark Radici was on and uh, shared his time at that uh, observatory observatory near uh, his hometown, which mm-hmm. uh, was fascinating. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, I would love to get down to Lowell sometime and and see all the instruments and that that they have going there. Um, I was also looking. They 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 have a they have a podcast. I think it's just really getting started, and uh, there's like a video component to it as well. And and they kind of were going a walk around recently and taking some shots. It was kind of neat just to see. Uh, looks like they've made the the grounds very visitor friendly. And as you can hear from Clint's uh, email, it certainly is a wonderful spot to go and and walk around and and look through some fantastic instruments for an evening mm-hmm. yeah very neat anything to add this is a bit of a shorter episode but we just thought that that was just such a great email we really appreciate uh clint and everybody else who sends us emails and um, just to be able to really read them and then talk through them a little bit more than maybe we have in the past just to to really take some time um to show our appreciation uh, uh to all of our listeners who who decide to take the time to write us all right so if you enjoyed this podcast, then we would really appreciate it if you could do us a big favor and go ahead and leave us uh, a positive review in your podcatching software or wherever, maybe over on uh, Apple Podcasts. We certainly would appreciate that. And each review increases our chances that other people like you will find actual astronomy. So thank you so much for your support. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, Or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.